Engage for Success Radio, raising the profile of employee engagement and shining a light on good practice for people who believe there's a better way to work. Good afternoon and welcome to Engage for Success Radio show number 296, How Conflict is a Positive Resource for Engagement. So today we're going to be talking about how while most people dread conflict, our guest today argues that conflict isn't the problem and can actually be a solution to driving shared responsibility for results and engagement. I'm Jo Dodds, your host for today. I'm an engagement consultant working within the Engage for Success core team. The Engage for Success movement is an inclusive movement committed to the idea that there is a better way to work by releasing more of the capability and potential of people at work. We spread the word about employee engagement and shine a light on good practice and we're widely supported across the UK involving the public, private and third sectors. If you go to our website, engagesuccess.org, you can use the link at the bottom of the page to join our newsletter list and all our social media links are there too. My guest today is Dr. Nathan Rigier, CEO and co-founding owner of Next Element. So welcome, uh, I should say, Dr. Rigier, <laughs> not uh, not Nate, uh, but uh, welcome. Nice to have you on the show. Thank you so much. It's great to be here. Lovely. I think we might have a slight delay with the, the uh, across the pond bit going on. Um, but it's really good to, to have you uh, join us. We were saying that uh, we book our show so far ahead that we have such a, 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 um, a different uh, array of people all the time. And uh, sometimes we can't remember how people hear of us or how we hear of them because we're so far ahead. But it's, it's so good to uh, get you on the show. I've been watching your uh, information for the show coming through for the last few weeks uh, promoting today. So I'm really looking forward to the conversation. Oh, that's wonderful. And reviewing some of the great topics and guests that you've had before, I feel honored to be part of this. Lovely. So start by telling us a bit about you and a bit about Next Element and what you do. Thank you. Well, I like to tell people that I'm a recovering psychologist. And I say that because I, I got my degree in clinical psychology, but as soon as I was out of school, I started realizing how fast things were changing and getting into the real world of uh, starting to learn what really works and how people really change and what are people really struggling with. And um, I felt like I was in a steeper learning curve after I got out of school than before. Uh, at the same time, it has been a joy and a privilege to use those skills in the work that I do. I am the CEO of Next Element Consulting, and we're a global leadership training and consulting firm. And we specialize in specifically in the science and behavior of compassion and how compassion affects the workplace and how we can bring more compassion into leadership. And so uh, we started Next Element in 2008 and have continued to grow, and we serve clients around the U.S. and globally. Lovely. So you talk about compassion. Um, and we're going to today be talking about conflict. So perhaps um, start by sort of taking me on a journey from, from one, one to the other. <laughs> yes, who would think that conflict is, is where it all starts? And, uh, yeah, it's interesting. <laughs> I, have, I have grown up around conflict my whole life. My parents were missionaries in Africa in the 80s and 90s. And uh, where I lived, there was a lot of violence going on. And in South Africa, where I went to high school, it was during apartheid when Nelson Mandela was still in prison. And so there's a lot of uh, political violence, a lot of racial violence going on. And so I've been around conflict a lot, 
and always struggled with um, the energy that's inherent in conflict and how we spend that energy. And um, it's interesting, if, if you Google the word conflict, Google will associate lots of words with it. And the most common words that Google associates with conflict are mediation, management, and reduction. And when I look at that, I think, wow, conflict sure has a bad rap. They sure have a negative reputation. And most people do have negative associations with conflict. And I don't think it has to be that way. I think most of the time we have these negative associations because we've had bad experiences with how conflict uh, is used. Uh, But it doesn't necessarily mean that conflict per se is bad. Yeah, I I agree that uh, generally conflict doesn't um, appear to be a very positive thing for for most people as a a sort of concept. And and as you say, because people have have often experienced issues with it. Um, You're saying that um, that isn't the issue and, and that actually, you know, conflict's a, g- a good thing. Still people just listening to that right now will be thinking, really? <laughs> I've been in situations where conflicts happened and it's been really difficult or it's caused issues or there's been, you know, bigger problems that, that have come around from that. So so yeah. tell us more about why you think that is, isn't the problem and why it's something that that we should focus on. Thank you. And we have every right to have that pit in our stomach and that negative, it's difficult feeling about conflict because conflict is hard. It's difficult. It strains relationships. And so often when conflict occurs, people don't handle it well, or maybe they don't have the skills to deal with it, or maybe they're just acting in ways they've always acted when there's conflict. And then we see the casualties mount up. And so it's easy to say, well, I don't like conflict because when conflict happens, people get hurt. So I don't want to do it. And if we get back to the very basic definition of conflict, conflict is simply a gap between what I want and what I'm experiencing at any point in time. Uh, For me, it might be that I want to be at work at 8 a.m. and the line at the coffee shop is 12 people long and one barista called in sick and one of the, the espresso machines is broken. So I have a gap between what I want and what I'm experiencing. Um, Maybe I want to feel confident that my daughter is safe when she's on a date with her boyfriend, and yet it's 10 minutes after she was supposed to be home and I haven't heard from her. We have a gap. And those gaps, there's nothing inherently good or bad about them, but those gaps produce a lot of energy. And that energy is the thing that we have choices around how we're going to spend that energy and what we're going to do about the gap. And that kind of really starts to distinguish the difference between conflict and how we how we deal with the gap. Hmm. So you're sort of saying inherently it's not necessarily a bad thing. It's just a thing. It's what we then do with it that, that makes it something that works for us or, or against us. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. And. You know, growing up, growing up all, all around the world, one of the things I, I became very clear to me is that people are different, and there is so much wonderful, amazing diversity in the world, and that's great. And because of that, we're bound to have conflict because with diversity comes different ways of seeing things, different experiences, different approaches, personalities, backgrounds. And so the conflict that is generated because of that, it can't be bad. It must have a purpose. And so the question that we've been asking and trying to find solutions to is what do we do with that energy of conflict so that it can create 
instead of destroy. And so that comes to kind of the difference between good and bad conflict is conflict is just the energy produced by the gap. The real question is, are we going to use it in a constructive way to build relationships, innovation, creativity, intimacy, or are we going to spend that energy to destroy and end up with all the casualties that most people are accustomed to? Mm. So how do we do that? If we, Like we said at the beginning, we've got people having sort of quite um, preconceived ideas about conflict being a bad thing, and, and a lot of people avoid conflict because, because of that. If we're saying it's a potential force for good, how do we help people to, to see that in a, in a more positive way and, and use it positively rather than perhaps avoid it or use it in a sort of negative way? Well, Joe, that's the question. You're absolutely right. How do we make it so that when I, when my daughter is not home and it's 10 minutes late, how does that turn into something creative that brings us closer together, increases intimacy and accountability rather than ending up in a, you know, a standoff and my daughter's grounded and she doesn't talk to me. And now I don't know what she's doing with her boyfriend. How do we, how do we do that? And and I think the first thing is to understand how people act when there's negative conflict in predictable ways. And that's where we talk about what's called the drama triangle. It's been around for a long, long time. We didn't develop it, but it's an incredibly elegant model for understanding the roles people play and the habitual ways of dealing with negative conflict. It was originally developed by Dr. Stephen Cartman, who was a psychiatrist that worked with a lot of dysfunctional relationships. Um, And he identified three roles that people play when conflict comes knocking. All of these are negative conflict. The first one is we may choose to play the role of the persecutor. And some of us respond to that energy of conflict by adopting the attitude, hey, I'm okay, everyone else is not okay. So therefore, it's okay for me to attack and intimidate and blame and withhold information and use shame and guilt to get what I want. And that's the persecutor attitude that says, I'm going to use the energy of the gap to persecute people to get what I want. Another role is the role of the victim. Some people assume the position of I'm not okay and you are. So when conflict comes knocking, I'm going to compromise. I'll keep quiet. I will take one for the team. I won't speak up. I will allow my boundaries and my needs to go secondary to everyone else's. And then I will allow the behaviors of the persecutor to influence me to do what they want to make the conflict stop. But what happens is I hurt myself in the process. Um, And that's two of the roles. But there's a third role in the drama triangle, and it's called the role of the rescuer. And some people, when there's conflict, appoint themselves the fixer of everybody else's problems. And so they think that their job is to say, hey, I'm okay, and you would be okay if you would take my advice and do what I say. So they come swooping in with unsolicited advice, trying to fix the problems to make the conflict go away. But it's all just to boost their ego and to feel important and helpful. Um, And so the crazy thing about these is is the persecutor says, you're the problem. The victim says, I'm the problem. And the rescuer says, hey, I'm the solution. And so all three of these dance (laughs) in this really dysfunctional, you know, codependent dance And it just keeps the drama going and it keeps the conflict destructive because the only real end goal Mm. of the drama triangle is to feel justified. 
Yeah. And I'm guessing many of your listeners guess- will say, oh, my goodness, I can relate. I've been in that situation. Mm. Mm. Yeah, exactly. And, I, and I'm listening to this thinking, I suppose the other option is not to even be involved at all. Um, and, and what we're really here to talk about is the, the positive benefit of conflict. <laughs> so so yes. you've got another sort of bit to add on now, haven't you? <laughs> which is, which is yeah, well, how do we not do these things? <laughs> Yeah, what if we want to make a different choice and we decide, you know what, I'm not going to play a drama role. Instead, I want to harness the energy of conflict and use it to create something instead of destroy. Because I really believe that the purpose Mm. of conflict is to create. And the question is, how do we do that? And that brings us to the solution, which is compassion. And compassion also, I believe, has been misunderstood by most people. Compassion is so much more than just care, concern, and empathy and kindness. Compassion comes from the Latin, originates from the Latin root, meaning co-suffer. Compassion means to suffer with or to struggle with, not against. And so drama is struggling against each other, and compassion is to struggle with each other. So we now have energy that's being used to create And that's where we've coined the phrase compassionate accountability. Because if if we look around in our workplaces, in our families, in our communities, what's really clear is that compassion without accountability gets gets us nowhere. We can't nicey-nice our way through very difficult situations. On the other hand, accountability without compassion gets us alienated. And we see plenty of those you know, leaders and parents and, and they just bring the hammer down and try to, you know, it's all about accountability, but there's no compassion. And so compassion and accountability means bringing together kindness, care, concern, and dignity along with attention to results. And that's how conflict can create instead of destroy. Mm. So you've used a few examples outside of the, the work environment. Can, can you do that to demonstrate the compassionate accountability in the same way that we've just done that with the conflict and, and the gaps that you talked about before we talk more about the, the employment situation? Yeah, I can give you a situation that happened one hour ago in our team staff meeting. <laughs> um, <laughs> we're reviewing, we're reviewing a, a mock-up and some content for two new web pages for a new product that we're launching. And two of the team members worked together to bring this to the team, and we're reviewing it. And I was, I was starting to feel very uncomfortable about where things were going. I, I didn't like what I was seeing, but I also didn't want to criticize the hard work that they'd done. And so I found myself with this internal conflict of a gap between what I wanted, which was to have some really solid mock-ups of our new website, and what I was experiencing, which were some things that didn't fit for me. And so mm-hmm. at that moment, I applied our method for compassion accountability. It's called the compassion cycle, made up of three critical skills, openness, resourcefulness, and persistence. And they go in that order. And so the first thing I did was I got open, got vulnerable, and disclosed how I was feeling. And I said, I'm feeling uncomfortable with what's going on here, and I'm anxious, be- and, and I'm torn because I really care about the great work you've done and something's not fitting for me. So I got honest about my own feelings without accusing anybody, without blaming anybody. Then I went to resourcefulness, which is the part of the compassion cycle where we start to problem solve and gather information. And I said, 
can we can we talk about some of the pros and cons and connect this to our you know original messaging for our website so that we can get consensus on what we want to do and then i went to persistence which is the part of compassionate accountability where you get crystal clear about what is at stake what are the non-negotiables what really matters here and why do we invest the energy to have conflict with each other and i finished by saying for me it's ultimately about consistency in our messaging and coherent brand image if we can accomplish that, I'm, I'm happy. And so what it sounded like to everyone was I'm feeling uncomfortable and torn about what I'm seeing. Um, can we talk about the pros and cons and how we're going to work on this? Because ultimately what it's about is coherent branding and um, messaging. And that's conflict because there was a gap and I was talking about the gap and I was, and I was participating in trying to find a solution and also engaging them and being part of the solution at the same time, trying to keep us focused on true North. Mm-hmm. I really like that example. And it feels really, yeah. So it, feel, it feels really um, logical and it, it sounds like, albeit in the moment, it wouldn't have been entirely simple because it's about people and how they're going to respond to everything else. But it just, it feels really quite easy from what you've just told me. That isn't how it feels most of the time when we're in the middle of potential conflict situations. So how how can we help people to be able to do exactly what you've just said, to use the cycle, um, knowing that in the moment it's really hard to be as um, intentional and, and as calm about things as you clearly were in this situation. Now, obviously, you know what you're doing. You've written the book. Yeah. You know, this is what you do. How yeah. can we help other people to, to do that? Well, that's a great question, and you bring up a good point. Simple doesn't mean easy, and we've developed a model that's incredibly simple and elegant in theory. That doesn't mean it's easy to do because conflict is hard, and it's charged with emotion, and it's really easy to want to go into drama and feel justified instead of stay in the compassion cycle and seek effectiveness in a relationship instead. Um, and so mm-hmm. – we have a mantra that can help people. And if we, if we break down the compassion cycle into the three components of open, resourceful, and persistent, each one comes with a mantra. Openness comes with a mantra about how will, how will I create a safe place for the real stuff to get talked about? Resourcefulness says, how will I create a curious place where we can really be interested in looking at solutions? And then, Persistence says, how can I create a consistent environment where we focus on the most important things and don't worry about the other stuff? So safety, curiosity, and consistency are the three mantras. And I try to remind myself when I'm getting ready to engage in conflict with somebody is that we are worthwhile, we are capable, and we are accountable. And those three things are so important when doing healthy compassion, and all of those have to be kept in the in the balance so later today i'm going to have a, con- a call with a, a client who hasn't paid their bill and they're 90 days delinquent in a bill and i'm going to have conflict because there's a gap and i'm going to probably start by saying something i'm going to create a safe place where i'm going to say i'm feeling anxious about what's going on and i'm calling to see how you're doing as well then i would go to resourceful and i would say i'm curious about what's going on because here's here's the payment history and we haven't received it and then i would go to persistent and say 
ultimately what's most important is our ongoing relationship and that we can that we can have mutual accountability for deliverables. And so it's going to be a tough conversation, but I want to go in knowing that they are worthwhile, they are capable, and they are accountable. Yeah. So how can we sort of encourage conflict in organizations? Because we've said in the sort of lead up to the show that it it can help to improve engagement, it can help to improve productivity, it can be a really positive thing within organizations. I guess, first yeah. of all, it's about people understanding this process, but, but you know, how can we sort of get organizations to, to understand that this is a positive thing rather than going back to the beginning of the, the show where we were talking about yeah. it naturally being that sort of negative thing? The first thing is to, is to recognize that everybody somewhere in their past probably has an example of conflict that turned out okay, maybe just one. But a situation where somebody stuck with us, we worked together, it was difficult, it was painful, and on the other end, we experienced greater intimacy, creativity, innovation, new energy, um, and just remember what that was like and know that it's possible. The other thing that we – the first thing we talk about when we go into organizations is one of the things our research has shown is that openness – which is the starting point for compassion and accountability is the least developed skill in most organizations and most cultures. And so getting open and creating a safe place for people to be vulnerable is seen as weak. And so we have to defeat that myth that vulnerability equals weakness. And I'll give you an example about when I came up with the name for my book, Conflict Without Casualties, I was really struggling to come up with a name. And a good mentor of mine, an author, he said, you know, just be patient. It will come to you. And I remember I was driving on the highway, and I was getting off on, a, on, a, on an exit ramp. Um, what do you call exit ramps in England, by the way? <laughs> good question. You get I off the highway. That, um, I, I'm trying to remember. What do they call yeah. it? Yeah. I can't remember. A junction. We call it a junction. So I'm getting off at a junction. I'm coming Jun- around, yeah. and <laughs> – I come up over the top of the highway and the sun is, the sun is about, um, is coming up. It's in the morning. And all of a sudden I have this vision of myself um, walking on up onto a battlefield, like back in the old, you know, 16, 1700s where the armies would say, okay, here we go. And they all come running up onto the battlefield. And I was walking up onto the battlefield Mm -hmm. alone and I was holding a white flag up. But at the moment, what I realize is this white flag does not say I give up and I'm weak. The white flag says I mean no harm, and I'm coming to you not to hurt you, but to, but to believe in you because you're worthwhile, you're capable, and you're accountable, and we can solve this problem in a different way. And so the thing, the, the message I want to get out to companies is that openness and vulnerability does not mean weakness. It is incredibly courageous and takes a ton of, of personal strength to be able to come clean with people around you about what's really going on and to actually be open to the possibility that both of you are okay and that you could create something amazing together. Mm-hmm. And what about for those people who naturally avoid conflict? So they they wouldn't even be sort of, thinking about how to approach it because it just is something that, right. that they steer clear of. What is it that they that they use the the cycle and the and the, the mantras and actually plan ahead 
enforce particular situations. Is that one way of starting to, to, to do more of that? Joe, that's a great way. And in my book, I have um, a whole chapter and an appendix dedicated to what I call uh, building your bank, which is getting ready for the conversation with worksheets where people can begin crafting what they're going to say. Um, and whenever I do keynote presentations and I share this formula to people, I invite them to email me. Think about it, the next conversation you want to have and write an email how you would say it and send it to me. And I'm happy to work with that person until we both feel comfortable before they even consider actually saying it to the person. Um, because the process of mm. doing it can be very therapeutic uh, before I ever go initiate the conflict. Yeah. Yeah. I can see how that might be really helpful. And maybe people don't even go in and have the conflict in the end. <laughs> yeah. Well, it and I have. I feel much I, about the scenario. That might not be such a good plan. <laughs> well, sometimes people realize maybe maybe I can change the way I can change my mindset, and it changes um, changes things because you know Einstein said, "Change the way you look at things, and the things you look at change." And it's amazing sometimes if I get myself right and get out of drama myself, all of a sudden new opportunities open up. And when I start acting differently, other people respond. Mm-hmm. And I guess sometimes we end up in com- conflict because of just the fact that we're expecting it to be conflict regardless and without any preparation or anything else, we just think it's going to happen. So I guess sometimes we we sort of create more conflict than there needs to be because of the way that we've approached it in one of those roles that you've talked about already you know, through the drama triangle. Oh, that's so true. And certain relationships almost get hardwired for it. Like I know when I see, Mm. when I get an email from a particular customer of ours, there's one of those customers and I just already know before I even open it, they're going to be in the victim role expecting me to rescue them again. Um, Or, Mm. and that may or may not be true, but I just come to expect Here's how it's going to be. Or, you know, we all have those relatives, those aunties that are always critical. And we just know that when we're in their presence, we're already on the defensive, expecting them to say Mm. something about what we're wearing or who we've chosen to date or whatever. Mm -hmm. (laughs) So true. So um, when we were preparing for the show, you you mentioned that uh, you've got a, a new way to help spread compassion even further. Can you enlighten us? We've just got three minutes left. Sure, sure. I'm very excited to share this because one of the things that we are realizing with our work around the world with teams and leaders is that leaders want to make a difference, and yet they are so often drained by people problems. And we need a way for people to, for leaders and everyone to quickly be able to start practicing compassion in every relationship. And so we've developed what's called the compassion mindset, and we've identified three switches that must be turned on from an attitude perspective in order for us to move forward and do these things. And so we've, we've built a, a, a two-hour online live course that teaches people these three switches, how to turn them on, and then how to use them to be able to engage differently for breakthrough results in every interaction. And, and uh, we're so excited to be able to condense it into two hours and make that available for anyone globally because our mission is to start facilitating compassion to start creating better relationships instead of letting drama win the day uh, and having conflict with casualties. That sounds amazing. So how can people find out more about that? Well, 
Uh, the, the best thing is to Google or search The Compassion Mindset or go to www.thecompassionmindset.com. And everything is there on how to attend a course. And if you're interested in my book, Conflict Without Casualties, it's available uh, on Amazon and some other places as well. Um, and if you want to just talk to us, we welcome phone calls and emails. And I also, I also publish two blogs that are great places for people to go and get resources for free. I, I publish one on Psych Central and another one on our website, next-element.com. That's a lot of information, but I encourage everyone to start at thecompassionmindset.com. That's brilliant. Thank you so much. I've really enjoyed this. It's um, It's been quite an eye-opener, and um, certainly I think um, for people to start to think about applying uh, some of the advice that you've given today would be really helpful. So thank you. Thanks for joining me. You're welcome, Joe. You said the time would fly, and you were absolutely right. Um, it, it's amazing how fast the time has gone, and if you have any other questions or anything you want me to elaborate on in the last minute or so, I am available to do that. And, again, just very grateful to be here. Brilliant. Thank you. Well, I'll just let people know that next week um, it's a bank holiday, and we don't usually have a show, but this time we do. Joe Moffat is recording a show in advance with Mitchell Levy, who's a keynote speaker, uh, talking about why organizations need more thought leaders. So Joe will be um, with you at least uh, in spirit rather than real, I think, or I don't know what the expression is. But anyway, she will be there with you on, on Bank Holiday Monday. <laughs> so we look forward to speaking to you then. And thanks again, Nate. Thanks, thanks for joining me. Engage for Success Radio, raising the profile of employee engagement and shining a light on good practice for people who believe there's a better way to work. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Chumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba Life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.